Okay, well, it's good to be with everyone here today and uh, a blessing to be a part of Amen. I've been to a couple of their uh, uh, times that they've had early on, uh, quite involved uh, with the ministry in, in our own area. And there's, I haven't been able to get here as much as I would like, but it's been fun to uh, get to know some of you uh, better and and meet some new friends and, and uh, move forward. I know we only have an hour. I'd love to talk uh, more. I'm going to have to talk pretty fast to get this through. And so I would like to just begin um, with, with this session by just telling you that I was a general dentist for some 27 years, uh, been done, done all the things that were here. I found something that it just became my passion about three years ago. And that was the obstructive sleep apnea. I started off with a five-year course in functional orthodontics and with USDI. Uh, did a lot of orthodontics throughout the years and studying uh, how childhood development and everything goes uh, with that. And then that kind of led me into oral facial pain and treatment of TMD. Did that for many years along with my general practice. And then when I started learning about obstructive sleep apnea, it was like a light bulb came on as I started realizing all the things that I had learned throughout all these years just all fit so together so perfectly. And it makes such incredible sense when we realize how the airway is, is formed and structured and the incredible responsibility and uh, privilege that we have as dental professionals to be able to make an, a, a difference in a person's life and impact them in a way that we never could with other things. I mean, it's incredible to be able to make someone's uh, smile better. And yeah, I've waited and given them the mirror and seen the tears come down and, and all that. And it is very exciting to see, to, to have that, very rewarding. But to be able to extend a person's life, to be able to save lives, and to be able to have patients come and with tears in their eyes, grown men, and look at you and, and say, doctor, thank you so much for changing my life. I mean, it's, it's one of those moments where the chills go up your spine. It makes such an incredible difference. I'd like to begin just talking about drowsy devotions, in particular the Garden of Gethsemane. We were at, um, at the Garden of Gethsemane here just a year ago. My wife Donna and I uh, went on a tour, and we went across the uh, Kedron Valley. And as you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, and you're looking across the uh, the valley, and you see Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem on the other side. And you can't help but when you're standing there looking through that whole thing to just be overcome with emotion, realizing that this is the point where Jesus was at when he, on Thursday night after the supper, went out with his disciples and went up to the, to the garden. And then he told all the other disciples to stay there, and he left. He, he, he took on with Peter, James, and John, asked them to go with him. So Peter, James, and John go with him, and then you remember the story. He tells them to wait here and watch and pray as he goes a little further. And so the disciples are to stay there, Peter, James, and John, as Jesus goes and pleads to the Father uh, about if, this, uh, if there's any other way, if this cup can be withdrawn from me, then, you know, so do it, but not my will, but thine be done, and all these things. And then he comes back. You remember, he comes back, and what's he find? He finds the disciples sleeping. And he says, can't you just stay awake for an hour? This watch in the actual uh, Greek, actually the word means stay awake. And so he goes back again, and he's praying to the, again, and he comes back a second time, and he finds him sleeping again, and he wakes him up, and he says, can't you please just stay awake, watch and pray 
and he realizes the impact that is on there. And he comes back a third time, finds him sleeping again, and he tells them, it's time to go, get up, let's go. And I got to tell you, we don't know what was going on. We don't know if it was just basic, they didn't get it. We don't know if they had a lot of fatigue that day or what was happening. But the point of the matter is, they had uh, drowsy devotions for whatever time. When you see, when, when you have things that is causing you to not have the energy level that you should have, it's going to affect every aspect of your life, including your spiritual walk. You're going to be having a hard time staying awake in church. You're going to have a hard time praying or and falling asleep during prayer, falling asleep in your devotions. It can affect every aspect of your life, including your spiritual walk. So what causes all this sleep deprivation? Is it because from stress, having a busy lifestyle that's out there? Or it can be something with a sleep disorder that is on there. Um, as we're looking at that, we have found now, and this is actually an old statistic. The old statistic was that there was 18 million people in that, are, that have obstructive sleep apnea in the United States, of which uh, 90% goes undiagnosed. That has now been upgraded to 30 million people. Why? We all know that there is an epidemic, obesity epidemic in this country, don't you? You all seen the map of the obesity uh, levels and what it used to be that was considered obesity back in the 60s and then 70s and 80s and 90s. And it has just become more and more. We've become a fast food nation. And with a fast food nation comes a lot of obesity. And what comes with obesity? A lot of, a lot of sleep apnea that, go, that is going on. So what causes sleep apnea anyway? Exactly what is it? The word apnea just means without breath. It literally means stopping the breathing for a 10-second period or more while you sleep. So when you begin to go to sleep and you're, you're, you have an obstructive airway and you stop breathing, if you stop for over 10 seconds, it's considered to be an apneic moment. Sometimes you just have very shallow breathing and, and considering something called hypopneas which is very shallow breathing, not breathing well, but you're still breathing some. At any rate, I have a little animation video that I'd like to show you here that goes, we don't have a, so we're gonna try, try the, yeah, this is it, okay. So if you think about what's going on here, as you see this little animation, you begin to go into the different levels of sleep, starting with a very light twilight sleep. As you begin to go into the deepest level of sleep, the muscle tone goes away. That's the REM sleep. That's the point where you, if you pick up a child and he's loose as limp and as a noodle, that's the type of sleep we're looking at. So when you go into that sleep, the muscle tone begins to go away. The tongue falls back. You get into this point where you have a partially blocked airway causing some snoring. Continues to block out until it's completely blocked out. At that point becomes a very important thing. The medulla, the brainstem, has to scream at you and start telling you to breathe. As it's sitting here saying, come on, breathe, come on, wake up, wake up, you got to breathe, it'll kick you out of that deep sleep into a lighter level of sleep. You may wake up completely, you may wake up gasping, you could wake up with your heart racing, or you may not wake up at all, but it's kicking you out of that deep sleep. That deep sleep is where your body repairs itself. If you're not getting the repair sleep that you need, over a period of time, you end up with deep sleep or repair sleep deprivation, causing all sorts of issues that's in there. If you're a borderline diabetic, it's enough to throw it over the edge thyroid issues, kidney issues, whatever the issues are, the weak points in our body, even the common cold. We know what the common cold is, the cure for it. Drink lots of liquids and get plenty of rest. 
But if your body can't get plenty of rest, because every time you go into deep sleep, you stop breathing, it's going to create all sorts of issues that goes on within, within the body. So deep sleep deprivation or untreated sleep apnea will reduce lifespan by 7 to 15 years. Our goal is we want to be 90, and we feel like we're 70. And unfortunately, many times with sleep apnea, you're 70, and you feel like you're 90. So it can be a huge problem with that. Also, when you stop breathing, if after a while you stop breathing and your, your body is so fatigued, then you start the brain stems telling you, come on, wake up, you got to breathe, you got to breathe. But your body's saying, I need, I need to rejuvenate. So it'll compromise. Instead of it being 10 seconds or 15 seconds with no breathing, now it becomes 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. It's been shown that it's over two minutes where a person stops breathing at night without taking a breath at all and during that, during that deep sleep process. If you have obstructive sleep apnea, the longer the time, the less oxygen you have in, in the bloodstream. As the oxygen level begins to go down in the bloodstream, it records to the heart. The heart says, uh-oh, whatever oxygen is left, I've got to get to that little toe. So it starts pumping harder and harder and harder, trying to get you to, to go, shooting the blood, the, the uh, blood pressure up high. A lot of times, un, um, uh, high blood pressure and with, with no known cause can be caused from obstructive sleep apnea. So when your heart's working harder and harder and harder during this time period, when it should be resting, it ends up wearing out faster. One of those times you go through one of those episodes after a few months, a few years, a few decades, eventually it's going to, it's going to rebel, go on strike, you end up with a heart attack and you can die from a heart attack. In fact, 90% of people who die in their sleep due to a heart attack, the root cause is sleep apnea. I mean, think about it. We all know people that have died in their sleep from a heart attack. We also know why heart attacks happen. Heart attacks happen from shoveling snow or screaming at somebody, maybe not here in San Diego, but exertion, jogging, stress. That's why, that's why that happens. But what kind of stress are you under when you're sleeping? And yet we know people that die in their sleep due to heart attack. Of course, there's no stress at all unless you're not breathing. But when you're not breathing, the oxygen is level and it increases that to that point. It's also shown that to cause cancer. Maybe some of you picked it up in June. There was two research projects that came out. It was all over CNN and Fox and the, the national news. And some of you, I see a few heads nodding there. 60% greater risk of cancer if you have untreated severe sleep apnea versus the normal population. Why would that be? At the cellular level, the individual cell, oxygen, uh, Low oxygen in that environment will cause atrophy of natural, normal cells. It causes cancer cells to proliferate, to become active and to begin growing. So a low oxygen environment causes natural cells to go to atrophy, but causes cancer cells to actually produce. So that's what the result is there. Also, there's another study that shows that just simply snoring, snoring is not considered to be a medical condition. It's considered to be a nuisance. Except there's now studies that are out there that shows that just the vibration from the snoring will cause a vibration in the, into the internal surface of the, of the carotid arteries, cause a, causing a roughening of the internal surface of the carotid arteries, um, which then creates a medium that collects plaque. Why plaque buildup is there? causing then a two and a half times greater risk of people with uh, sleep apnea to have a stroke versus the normal population. 
So it causes all sorts of problems just because of not being able to get the proper amount of sleep that is there. It causes us to be affected physically, and it causes us to be affected emotionally. Because when you're tired, what do you do? When you're, when you're not feeling good, are you on your game? I mean, if you're not sleeping the night, then you can't seize the day. You can't be the best that you want to be. You can't, you can't be on your game. You can't perceive and witness to people or do ministry or to take care of your family or take care of our patients the way that we would because of not feeling good. So sleep apnea, sleep deprivation will cause you to feel a bit like you have a cloud over top of you causing depression. It affects you emotionally. And we already talked about how it can affect you even spiritually. Because if you can't focus to kneel down and pray because you fall asleep every time you do, or to do devotions, or to sit in church and listen to a good sermon. I've had people as I'm speaking in church come up to me afterwards, doctor, one, one lady, we treated her. I, I had her in my, as a part of our congregation for several years. After I got a hold of this, I had talked to her and asked her if she would consider coming in. We treated her for sleep apnea, and it solved the problem with her falling asleep. But she would always come up to me afterwards, I'm so sorry that I've fallen asleep. And here, it wasn't anything to do with a spiritual issue with her at all. It was simply a physical condition that she had that was causing her to have those problems. I'd like to begin to talk to you about a person's journey. How does this impact a person throughout life? I want to go through and talk about Johnny. When Johnny was born, he was a cute little guy like everybody else. He had, every, he had great parents that wanted to raise him, that he could be the best he could be. And, but as Johnny began to grow, it was shown at, at age six, he, was, he just wasn't quite as, had, didn't have the height that everybody else had it when they was going to school. In fact, they were considering holding him back from school. And in fact, they did for, for a year because he was just studying. You know, he was going to be a late bloomer. Growth hormone is produced in deep sleep. If you have sleep apnea as a child, it can affect everything that has to do with developmental issues. And so Johnny had a little bit shorter uh, stature. He was a also immature emotionally because of the lack of, of growth hormone that was in there. His tonsils and adenoids were pretty large, and he was snoring even at that age. So they decided to take him to the pediatrician, who rightfully so got the tonsils out of there tend to be a daydreamer and wasn't doing real too well in school. So by the time he was about age eight, they decided that really what the deal was is he had attention deficit disorder. And so since he was still smaller than everybody else and he was kind of grouchy, he didn't get along with anybody in school and he wouldn't get his homework done and, and he just wanted to sit there and play and he seemed to fall asleep quite a bit in, in there. Think about it. If you're a small kid, all of us that have kids, Keep them up till 2 in the morning and tell them to go to school the next day. How are they going to act? They're going to be irritable. They're not going to be able to focus. They're going to have problems with school. They're going to have problems with their teachers and their classmates. So he's diagnosed as having, having attention deficit disorder. Put on Adderall. Now he has to go to school, and every day at lunch he has to stand in line, and all the other kids are going off to, to, to have their lunch, but he has to go see the teacher first so the teacher can give him his little special pill because he's not like all the other kids. You see, if we could have caught it at this young age, we could have changed this guy's life. But it's not picked up. It isn't picked up that... that his arch is not following, is, is very narrow. He has a very high vaulted roof and he's a mouth breather and he can, 
He, he, he has very small sinuses and underdeveloped. His jaw's back a little bit. Nothing is picked up with any of that at this age when if it is correctively, it can be corrected through orthodontics, expanding arches and growing jaws. And we might have been able to change this guy's life at this age. Not picked up. By the time he's 12 years old, by the way, he's also a bedwetter because you know what happens if you have sleep apnea? When you have sleep apnea and you're so exhausted, especially as a young child, you finally hit the wall. If your body ever finds a, ch a chance that it can actually get a good night's rest, it isn't about to wake up for something as simple as going to the restroom. So he becomes a bedwetter. He isn't going to go over to anybody's house because he's afraid he's going to wet the bed that night. By the time he's 12, he's become, well, he's different than the rest of the kids a little bit secluded, and he has behavioral changes. He's gone into the, the mode of, I'm going to be there, and he's, he's the fight and flight mode, you know? Still a little bit smaller in stature. Physical developments are problems. Personality issues are there. He has learning disabilities. He has to stay after school and, and, and get there. And by the way, if he can keep on this Adderall long enough, and it, it can help a little bit to calm things down a, a, a bit for him. You get him to age 16, and... Now John, well, John's in high school, and they're beginning to talk about career days. Is all he can think about is how's he going to get through high school. He has a hard time concentrating and learning in school. He comes from good parents, so they encourage him all the way along the way. He's going to his doctor and his physicians all the way. He's not being picked up by any of the stuff that goes on. He now starts having these AM headaches. He wakes up with these headaches in the morning. You see, if you have shallow or slowed breathing, it causes a condition called hypoxemia, the lack of oxygen and the buildup of carbon dioxide in the brain from shallow breathing. So he wakes up with these headaches, and pretty soon he feels as though it's, it's getting a little bit better as the, as the day goes on, as the oxygen comes back in. Also, if you have sleep apnea, one of the best ways for the body to fight off sleep apnea is to clench and grind. So he's this night grinder, and he's constantly clinching, and he wakes up, and his jaws are hurting, and they begin to do a little bit of popping. He's having some ear pain that's in there. Doesn't know what's going on, but he does know one thing. He's going to get through high school if it kills him. By the time he's 18, he knows that school's not for him. He joins the military. He's a great guy. He's got the character because his parents were there, and they were helping him all the way along the way. And they know that he's just, you know, school's not for John. No, that's okay, but boy, he's a great guy. Only problem is, is he falls asleep on duty. Can't stay awake. And after a couple of warnings, he gets a dishonorable discharge because the people in the military think it's about that he's just, just uncooperative. It's affecting every aspect of his life. How do you think his life is spiritually? I mean, we think about it. How does this go? It goes on. Age 21, he, he, he meets the love of his life. He goes on and gets his, his, his commercial driver's license, becomes a truck driver. He meets the love of his life, and Sarah, she's just everything to him. She's just a beautiful person, and he's going to be just like his parents. He can hardly wait to have those kids and to, to live a life and to raise them to be all that they can be, and everything's going well except for, well, he's got a little snoring problem. Snoring uh, affects, according to Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic has a, a, project, a research project out there that shows that the snorer has fragmented sleep 27 times an hour. 
The person who sleeps with the snorer has fragmented sleep 21 times an hour. She can't sleep. Nothing more to do but to move out of the bedroom. He's got gastric reflex because of abdominal breathing. When, you're, when you stop breathing, your, con, your diaphragm begins to contract. It goes into contractions, driving up the stomach acids, up the throat, and, into the, and causing a lot of gastric reflux problems. So he's on medications for that. He's a terrible mouth breather. Didn't ever get the teeth taken care of. But he's a great guy. And he begins to have some weight gain. The things with sleep apnea begin to take effect. You see, when you have sleep apnea, there's a hormone called, or a, a chemical called lepin that's produced in deep sleep. Lepin allows a person then to be able to feel full, not want to eat between meals, not, to, not desire sweets or starches. If you don't have that in there, you're going to have more of a craving for sweets and starches and eating between meals. He gains some weight that the headaches begin to increase and his enjoyment begins to decrease and he's completely fatigued. If we had caught this at this point, we could possibly have changed his life. He's a young man with a full career, wanting to have a family, wanting to go forward. We have an opportunity here to be able to do something that I know Christ would have done. The relationship between sleep apnea and, and TMJ. So when your masseters begin to contract up and back, creating then the disc to, to get displaced out of position, and many of you may know about TMD, but what you may not have known is the relationship between TMD and sleep apnea. 65% of people with sleep apnea also have TMD and vice versa. There's quite a huge relationship because the body's best way of fighting off sleep apnea is to clinch and grind, which gives you a little bit of open airway, allowing you to sleep and have an open airway at the same time. At the same time as doing that, as jamming the jaw joint back, compressing that bone into the, inner, into the ear space, creating ringing in the ear, itchy ear, clogged ear feeling, feeling like you got an earache, sometimes hearing loss, uh, dizziness, all of these factors that are in there. Go to, the, go to the ear doc, he looks in there and says, nothing wrong in the ears. You're right, nothing wrong in the ears. It's actually the TMJ right in front of the ears. So creating a compression of that area. Comes in here to the temporal area and starts from the masseter muscles pulling up to the temporal, creating cramping of the temporal muscle due to the, to the chronic fatigue of the temporals. Translate into headaches in the temporal area. That in turn pulls in behind the eyes, making the muscles behind the eyes go sore. Making you have a sensitivity to sunlight, having to wear sunglasses outside or be in a dark room. Uh, also pulls backwards into the occipital area. Once it gets in the back area, giving you headaches in the back of the head, that pulls on the neck muscle making the neck go sore. When your neck goes sore, no one wants a sore neck muscle, so you tend to pull your shoulders up, making the trap muscles go bad, which pulls on the spinal column, creating chiropractic problems, causing pinching of the nerves, clear down to tingling of the fingers and the toes, many times misdiagnosed as fibromyalgia or carpal tunnel syndrome. So a huge domino effect of all of these things, creating all of these issues that are in there, creating all of these signs and symptoms that we have in here. John goes on. He really wants to do the best he can for his family. He's fighting all these things, the weight gain that's gone in there. And now Sarah's not even in the same room. And he's on, not only, uh, not only is he on, on um, uh, muscle relaxers and, and pain meds, but he's on medication for the gastric reflux and uh, for antidepressants, for the medications for that. And he keeps pulling in with all these different medications that's on there all the time gaining more and more weight. 
And as you can imagine, being a commercial truck driver, one of the times he's pumping in some energy drinks trying to fight off the sleep apnea, one time it doesn't make it and he has a minor accident. He knows that he's in trouble and it's affecting him. It's affecting his life physically. It's affecting his life emotionally and it's affecting his life spiritually. It's affecting his, his relationship with Sarah and with his kids. His symptoms are night sweats, daytime fatigue, headaches, facial pain, loss of interest in sex, TMJ problems, snores all the time, witness stop breathing, choking or gasping, high blood pressure, depression and weight gain. He finally hits a wall after the accident and he says, I gotta get some help. He goes and he explains all these things. By the way, these are some more falling asleep in church and all that memory loss. He explains all these things to his, to his doctor who suspects that he may have obstructive sleep apnea. Good chance. He sends them in. The only way we know whether or not we have obstructive sleep apnea for sure is to do an overnight sleep test or a home sleep test, a polysomnogram or a home sleep test. Uh, we can have a, something called an Epworth a sleepiness scale. It's a, something that all of us could have in our office. It's an international uh, questionnaire that gives you a chance of, of identifying people with sleep apnea. And if you, have, if you score an eight or above in that particular Epworth study, you have about a 90% chance that that person has some sleep disorder and likely obstructive sleep apnea. So it gives you some hints. But the only way we know for sure is to get them in for a sleep test, either through an overnight sleep test or at a sleep lab. I have home sleep testing that's in my office. We can send them to the, to the, send the patients home with them. It is as accurate as a polysomnogram taken in a sleep lab. It's not as comprehensive. It's not evaluating for central sleep apnea, the brain telling you to breathe, or restless leg syndrome. So it's not evaluating the neurological as well, but for obstructive sleep apnea, it gives you the same data that you have the, with the overnight sleep test. So if you don't have a lot of comorbidities and issues why you can't do that, a good way to find out is to send them home with a sleep test. It comes back with a lot of data. You take that data and you send it to a board-certified sleep specialist that does the diagnosis. As dentists, even if we have a diplomat in, in sleep, we are still dentists. And as dentists, we are not allowed to diagnose that is left to the physicians. We're allowed to treat. So we would get the, the we send it to a board certified sleep specialist, he does the diagnosis, and then we can discuss the, the treatment options that are out there. The treatment options, so he has found out that he does have sleep apnea after he is sent back and then John sits down with his physician and he's given some options. He's given the option of lifestyle change, weight loss and sleeping on your side. Alcohol uh, use causes it to, to be worse. So abstaining from alcohol is something that helps as far as the, the severity of it. But all of those things all said and done, especially in John's case, he's pretty severe. His at times he has slowed or stopped breathing is in the 60, 60 times a minute range. At that point, he decides that he has to have something done, and the doctor tells him what he needs to have is continuous positive airway pressure with the CPAP. The only other option would be surgery. So he, he chooses to go for the CPAP. Continuous positive airway pressure is a wonderful thing. It puts pressure through the, through the mouth or the nose and blows the tissues apart, keeping the tissues apart. It will work. It works 100% of the time on a mannequin. 
about 50% of the time on, on human beings. So that a lot of people fall out of treatment. In fact, uh, depending on the research data that you look at, 40 to 60% fall out of treatment within, um, within the first year and stop using the appliance or the, the CPAP. John tries it for six months. You know, he's, a, he's the kind of guy, he's going to make it work. He knows he's going to make it work, and he can't get it to do. So he, do, he goes from a full mask. He can't take care of the, the claustrophobia that comes from that. So then they try just the nose part of it. Problem is, is he can't breathe through his nose very well because it's all congested in there. So he does the best he can. And what they do then is, well, they got to crank the pressure up. Well, they crank the pressure up, and then it's blowing out the sides of the air. And so what you have if you have, the, if you have a lot of air leakage is, well, that's just because you need to crank that thing on tighter. So he takes a strap, and he pops that nose piece on just as tight as he can. Only problem with that is it causes lacerations at the bridge of the nose, and he wakes up, and his nose is bleeding. He goes to nasal pills with something that just goes inside the nose. But that same thing is happening there where it's, where it's causing a lot of leakage and a lot of problems with that. And he can't find it. And yet he, he becomes CPAP intolerant, and he has to have it. It's a job requirement. He is a commercial truck driver. It's required. He doesn't have any other options. So he goes for... Yeah, by the way, American Sleep Apnea Association, this is, theirs is 40% fallout of treatment. There's other data up there that's as much as 60% fallout of treatment that is on there. Some of the laceration problems, rhinitis, or inflammation of the nose, stomach bloating, swallowing, and not to mention the social implications and just the convenience factor of these. So there's a lot of problems with them. At any rate, John finally decides he can't do it and he has to go for the surgery. So then he goes to the surgery portion. He has a, UP, a U3P done where they take the uvula out take uh, wedges out of the tongue and the pharyngeals, they move them out of the way and he's already has tonsils and adenoids out. Works pretty well for him for about a year and a half. And then the scar tissue goes away. And when the scar tissue goes away, his symptoms are back. In fact, there's about a 30, this one says 30 to 50% success, new data showing 30 to 35% success rate on those. It's an option. That means 30, 35% are having some success with this. I've never found anybody that wanted to do that surgery a second time. It's a tough surgery. We've treated a lot of people with, without uh, uvulas and, and got them into appliances that are in there. Four years later, he's finally, he's back to it. He knows he can't do the CPAP. He can't do surgery. There is no other options that are out there. He's taking sleep aids to try to get him to sleep more because he's got to get his sleep. And when he wakes up from the sleep aids, he's so groggy and he thinks it's because of those snug on sleep aids. So what's he have to do? He has to take a lot of caffeine. So he's taking energy drinks and coffee all day long just to try to stay, just to try to stay awake. He's getting more and more depressed as time goes on. He fights it and this time he has a, an accident again. It's a bigger accident this time. He knows that he can't go on. He looks towards getting disability. Gets on disability and he tries to take a few jobs here and there. And he wants to see his kids get married and be a grandfather and be the best that he can be. But he's so tired of being tired. Think about what this guy's life could have been had it been caught at age 6 or age 9 or age 12 or age 20 for all that matter. And yet here he is, now an older man, trying to get through, hitting the wall. It's affecting him physically. It's affecting his life. It's affecting his family, 
his kids, his wife, his God. We are the hands and the feet. That's what Jesus was. He gave sight to the blind. He healed them physically. He healed their broke, the brokenhearted. He healed them emotionally. He set the captive free. What would have Jesus done had he seen John with his hands in his face like that? Knowing where John had been, clear out through all his life, struggling with this physical issue that has gone and has taken him and enslaved him for all of his life. And we as dentists have an opportunity to change his life. He goes to see his dentist. Routine checkup. His dentist tells him about this new seminar he'd just gone to. That there's now a new something else that is out there for obstructive sleep apnea. And as soon as he looks in, he sees no uvula. And he knows that John's got obstructive sleep apnea. He goes in and he asks John about all the things that's gone on. And that he's CPAP intolerant. And John is at the end of his rope with everything. He looks at his medication list, which is way too long. And he sits and he talks to John for a while. He tells him about oral appliances. You see, in 2006, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, as well as the FDA, approved the oral appliances to be used as a first line of treatment for mild and moderate sleep apnea or as an alternative for severe sleep apnea for those who cannot, who cannot tolerate the CPAP. It's something new for John. There's new hope for his life. They're showing an oral appliance. The oral appliance works by simply keeping the jaw forward. Remember we talked about the cause of the problem? You go into deep sleep, the jaw falls back. The oral appliance is just simply holds the jaw forward and stops it from coming back. There's over 50 of these appliances that have FDA approval. Out of those, there's, in my opinion, three good designs. And out of those three, this one is way by far the best design of all of them because it is a dual appliance. It works not putting stress on the jaw joints. It takes stress off the jaw joints. It's balanced, and, and, and if it's positioned in such a way, it can be a TMJ appliance at night as well as sleep apnea appliance and, uh, and, and balancing the muscles, getting rid of the, the fatigue and everything else that goes on with that. How does it work? It repositions the lower jaw, tongue, palate, uvula. Stabilizes the lower jaw and increases the tongue's muscles. It opens the airway. It works by two things. You have two options that are there. You have a vertical dimension of this, which is holding the jaw forward. There's also a, a excuse me, a horizontal holding the jaw forward. There's also a vertical in how far, how far open you want the jaw to be. As you can see, your, your teeth are apart here, depending on how much of a snorer they are. And, you know, we can have that closed or open vertically. We can also move it forward or backwards. It works great even with people with dentures. It locks right into the dentures. I've got over 50 people with this, with, with dentures in here. It works wonderfully. With the sleep appliance and the lower child for falling back, keeping the tongue forward and the airway open. Often this will reduce or eliminate snoring and sleep apnea, providing the body with deep, restful. 
So as you can see, you might ask the question, well, that looks cumbersome. How, how effective is that appliance? I've got, got over 2,000 of those in place. We have an active recall program like you would for hygiene. It works exceptionally well. We have over 90% success rate by people being able to wear them, quantifying success with this statement, that, that they're able to wear it, and they're getting at least a three times reduction in the amount of number of times they, uh, they have slowed or stopped breathing, the RDI or AHI. The way that we know what they are is once we get the position and we get the uh, jaw in the forward position, then we'll, we'll have them actively, it's adjustable by one quarter of a millimeter per time, the patient adjusts them themselves. And I've actually got one here, some of you wanna see it, you can come up and I'll, I'll show you one later. Um, but they adjust it themselves we find a position where they're sleeping all night, waking up rested, no snoring, good afternoon energy, and extra dreaming. Once we got those five factors there, we know we're in, the, we're in a good position. We start the, let me, we start the jaw with, with the jaw slightly forward from the natural bite, just barely forward from the natural bite. If you move it clear out, then you'll, they'll love it the first two nights, then the muscles start screaming at them and they can't wear it. You start the jaw, with, with, or the appliance with the jaw slightly forward, then you move it forward, having the patient adjust the appliance one turn per night for a two to four week period of time. Once they find that position, sleeping all night, waking up rested, no snoring, good afternoon energy, and extra dreaming, once you get to that point, we're going to have them stop right there. You don't want them out like a bulldog. In fact, if you get too far forward, it tends to pull on the pharyngeals in the back, and it can close the airway down, and their symptoms can come back. So you're finding that sweet spot. Once you find that, then we're going to send them in or do another home sleep test, whichever, uh, but get another sleep test with the appliance in place so that we can prove its efficacy, allowing us to know where we're at. Advantages of the oral appliance is it's comfortable, it's easy to wear, it's small, convenient, can be carried in your pocket for traveling, um, and it's reversible and, and, um, and non invasive. So, a very good option. For the, for the patient. John tries this, and now this is where his life's at. You see, that's what we want to have. We want to be 90 acting like we're 70. But when you have sleep apnea and you've struggled with it for all those years, you're going to be 70 feeling like you're 90. I have a patient that was a Caterpillar executive in my office. I was doing a seminar on Down syndrome patients. 90% of, 95% of, of adult Down syndrome patients have sleep apnea. Thick tongues, short necks, wide. Um, at any rate, they had a Down syndrome patient, this guy did. And he came up to me afterwards. He says, Every, all the symptoms that you just said, I have, and I've struggled with this. I've had the surgery done. I've had the, the uh, CPAP. I can't do it. And my wife's having to drive me to work now. I'm considering going on disability. She has to drive me to work to get to work because I don't dare drive. I've fallen asleep sitting at a stop sign. My AHI is 115, 115 times an hour, slowed or stopped breathing. And I can't do the CPAP. Nothing has worked. There's nothing else that medicine has to offer me. Do you think this would work for me? We put them into an appliance. You can get at least a three times reduction. I got it down to a 31. 30 is still severe sleep apnea. Way better than 115, and he was feeling much better. Then we reintroduced a CPAP at a low pressure, a minimally invasive CPAP. We went to just the nasal not, uh, pillows 
instead of a full mask, something that just goes in the nose. We reduced the pressure from a 22 that he was on, which will just about blow off your face, down to a 9. And he wore the appliance and the CPAP, and we were able to draw that number down to a 6. And it was effective. I saw him a year later. This was just a couple of months ago. And when I got through, I'd seen him. I was just for an annual checkup. And he came up to me afterwards, and, and uh, well, I, I looked at it, got through talking to him, shook hands with him. I was on my way out the door, and he said, hey, doc. And I stopped, and I turned around and looked up. He's a big guy. And he got up out of the chair, and he came over, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he looked down at me with tears boiling up in his eyes. And I'm looking at him, and he says to me, in case I was killed in a car accident, I want you to know how much you've changed my life. Thank you for giving me my life back. Chills going down my spine. What a privilege. Are you kidding me? I'm a dentist. To change somebody's life to that level. We have given him his life back physically, emotionally, and spiritually in this man's case. What a privilege we have of being able to do it. Jesus says, this is John 10, 10. The thief comes but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our joy, our peace, our happiness. He wants us to have shorter, smaller lives. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it in abundance. And we have an opportunity as dentists to be able to help a group of people that there is no other help for them to be able to help them in such a way as this. What an incredible thing. It's a serious condition. It reduces lifespan 7 to 15 years. It can, it can cause 90% of people that die in their sleep due to a heart attack. It's because of sleep apnea. Those that severe, with, have severe sleep apnea, it causes 60% greater risk of cancer, two and a half times greater risk of stroke. And we can help them with that. As we think about what that means with our drowsy devotions, what it means for, the, for being to the garden. We all want to go to the garden every day. We want some one-on-one -on -one time with God, don't we? So do our patients, if they know him. And if they don't, once you feel that heal them physically and emotionally, you can help them spiritually. It's our opportunity. It's our privilege. It's our duty. It's our duty as healthcare professionals. It's our duty as sons and daughters of the king. And it's the joy of my life. I loved it so much, I went in and I took and separated this out of the dental field, actually, because I had a hard time myself coordinating all, this, all the rest of, this, of the dentistry to be able to do that and to be able to effectively run this in a medical model. You see, what we have to offer is a dental solution to a medical model. It is a medical model. It is billed under medical insurance. So I set up a separate pro corporation, ran off of a medical model, not a dental model. I bought medical software. We started billing it medically. I became in-network provider for 
for Medicare and for all the major uh, medical insurance companies that are out there. I got complete training in it. And I started trying to educate the public. I do a lot of, a lot of seminars to the public. And the Lord's blessed me with it. Such a privilege to be able to be there. It turns out that our practice has now grown to, it's one of the largest in the country, I'm told. We've had a lot of, I've had privileges of being able to go and do some, some speaking on sleep apnea nationally, teaching dentists how to do some of these things now. We've turned around and set up something um, that is uh, a franchise where we have the systems that's put together for people that really want to do this full time. If any of you would be interested, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But whether you are or not, as dentists, as clinicians, what an incredible time to be alive and to be in the dental field. As we look at the patients that are there, not only are we looking for cavities, not only are we talking about hygiene and perio and everything else that is in there and aesthetics and all this stuff, but look a little deeper. Look a little further back in the throat. Ask a few more questions. Find out if they do have sleep apnea, if it's going untreated, because there are people in every one of your practices that are the Johns out there. And believe me, this is just one story that could be told a thousand times over. If you're treating children, ask the question, are they sleeping well? Are they snoring? Do they wake up? Are they wet in the bed? Are they on ADD medications? Do they have a small arch? Are they mouth breathers? Do they have a retronathic jaw? All these things that will be signs and symptoms that can, we, could, we can literally change their life at that young age. Thank you very much. And uh, if any of you have any questions, I'd be happy to take some. I don't know how much time we have. I think we're about out. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.